Well, good morning. How are you doing today? Looking good. Uh, looking forward to going to the time of teaching. My name is Mike. I'm one of the pastors here. And uh, if it's your very first time, I want to welcome you. Um, but we are going to be going into a time of, of teaching now. And inside your program is a message note sheet that's uh, green and white. You want to take that out. That'll help you uh, follow along. I think you'll, you'll make it a lot uh, easier. And so if you guys are ready to go, I'm ready to jump in. You guys ready? All right, let's pray. God, we're just so thankful to be here as we uh, unpack your word once again and look at incredibly uh, powerful, important passage of scripture about uh, the coming of your son, what it's all about, what it means to follow him, and, and this incredible event we call Passover. And so we pray that you would meet us in a, in a powerful way, you'd speak and lead and guide, and that when we uh, leave here, we'd be different because we've been spoken to, we'd sense it, we'd know it, and we would know what our next step in our assignment is. And we pray this in your name, Amen. Well, today we are continuing this, uh, this series that we've been in since the beginning of the year. It's called uh, the Jesus, the Crucified King. And for those of you new, want to welcome you, want to welcome all of you, whether you're kind of here in our, our interim worship center or over in the summit or back in the back or even uh, podcasting. We're having more and more people are saying around the country we're podcasting. So for those of you in Florida, I just want to say hi. Uh, anyway... Uh, uh, today, uh, we're in this series, it's, uh, it's, it's a series about the life and teaching of Jesus, for those of you who are new, uh, it's seen through the eyes of one of the leaders of the early movement of Jesus, his, man, his name is Mark, he's a close personal friend uh, of the Apostle Peter, and so towards the end of Peter's life, he's going to write down sort of Peter's memoirs, if you will, uh, Peter's first-hand experiences of the life and teaching of Jesus, and so in this current series, it's a, actually the third in a trilogy of series in the life of Jesus, in this third and final series, we've watched as Jesus has come into town, into Jerusalem. It's the last week of his life. His men don't really know this. He's tried to tell them, but they just they can't get it through their minds. And uh, all week long, he's been revealing his true identity uh, as the great king of Israel, the Messiah, in some new and bold and provocative ways. Uh, but this is bringing him into increasing conflict with the religious leaders of the nation who see him as a threat to their uh, position, their, their influence, their authority. And so since early on in the week, they've been looking for ways to arrest him uh, and to execute him, but it's really tricky because it's Passover week and hundreds of thousands of Jewish pilgrims are coming to celebrate the Passover. Jesus is incredibly popular. They're afraid that if they arrest him, it will lead to a riot. The Romans will break in, be kind of military uh, law will break out and they'll lose their, their place in power. And so they've been looking for a way, but now it's Thursday, it's Thursday morning, and uh, within 24 hours, Jesus is going to be arrested and executed. And so things have come to a head. It's, it's Passover. And uh, uh, this is no accident that Jesus is in Jerusalem. It's no accident that he's going to be arrested on Passover. This is part of a plan that was written in the script before time began. And so today as we unpack this whole event we call Passover, it's going to be important that we understand what Passover is about. And so I know a lot of us here are kind of new believers, many of us here are all-time believers, we know different things about it, but I want to go back and just take a couple minutes and frame this up, talking about Passover, because we're going to need to understand it, because everything that happens today builds on that understanding. And so there in your note sheet, you have a section, if you turn the page, that's called the Passover, a quick review. I just want to take a couple minutes and, and kind of go through this. So the Passover was one of three major pilgrim feasts every year in Israel. Uh, three times a year when God uh, required the nation of Israel, all the men, to make the trip to Jerusalem to celebrate these kind of uh, long pilgrim feasts. Um, 
and the most important of them was Passover. And so Passover looked back to the time when Israel became a nation. It looked back to the time when God sent Moses down to Egypt to release, uh, set Israel free from slavery and bondage to Pharaoh in Egypt, and, and when they became a nation. It was like their 4th of July. And so uh, if you remember the story, the account, uh, Moses goes down, he says to Pharaoh, hey, God says, let my people go. Uh, Pharaoh says, who's your God? We got better gods than your God. And uh, he says, okay, well, let's see about that. And so, so they go through kind of a, a challenge. And, and so over the next uh, few weeks and months, they, they, they're gonna have, the God's going to send a series of 10 plagues, supernatural plagues, upon the nation of Israel designed to break Pharaoh's will and also to, to bring a judgment on the land of Egypt for the way they'd oppressed Israel for 400 years. And the last plague, the 10th one, was the most devastating. And before this was unleashed, God came to Moses and he said, I'm going to unleash a devastating plague. And after this, Pharaoh's going to let you go. But you need to be ready because you may change his mind. So you're going to need to be ready, be re- all set. And he said, here's what's going to happen. He said, at, uh, at, at midnight, uh, I'm, going to, um, I'm going to send the angel of death throughout the land. And he's going to take the life of every firstborn Egyptian son, uh, uh, both uh, kids and also cattle. And he says, so to prepare for that, to, to, uh, to protect yourselves, you need to, on the 14th of Nisan, so Nisan will be the first year, first month of the year, the 14th of Nisan, you, every family is to take a, a one-year-old lamb, a spotless lamb, and you're going to execute that lamb, and you're going to take the blood of the lamb, and you're going to put it on the doorposts, the door frames of your house. And so when the angel of death comes over at midnight, Uh, then uh, he will see the blood, identify your house as one of mine, and he'll pass over you. And so you you will not die. Your sons will not die. And so sure enough, uh, at midnight, uh, the angel of death came, and the Israelites who trusted in God and believed in that, they had sacrificed the lamb, they'd had the Passover meal, uh, and they had also made a, um, a batch of unleavened dough. Now, uh, normally in Egypt, they would have uh, bread with leaven or yeast, right? Just like we would have. But uh, God said, you're going to have to be set, ready to go, ready to move. And so you're not going to have time for the bread to rise. So make some bread without uh, leaven. And you're going to take this with you. And so after uh, uh, Pharaoh relents, they take off. Uh, and, And so after that, God says, from now on, every year, on the 14th of Nisan, in the afternoon, you're going to sacrifice a lamb and you're going to reenact Passover. And then for the next seven days, I want you to only eat uh, bread that doesn't have leaven, unleavened bread, as a, a, because the, the leaven, when you, when you ate the leaven, it was like you were in the land, you were slaves, you were prisoners. Unleavened bread is a reminder of when I set you free to this new life. You're no longer slaves, you're, no, you're, you're set free, you're escaped the sin of Egypt. All right, so, you, so, so every year you're gonna, you're gonna sacrifice. Now by the time of Jesus, Passover was huge. Uh, the Jewish historian Josephus tells us that every year at Passover, three million pilgrims came to Jerusalem. Now, uh, most modern scholars don't believe jo- Josephus. That he's exaggerating. He probably is. There's probably two, that's probably, but normally he's pretty reliable. There's a lot of people, let's call it hundreds of thousands, coming to Jerusalem. And they're coming in, and remember, it's like their 4th of July. The, uh, uh, what the, this is a time they celebrate when they became a nation. God set them free. It's like their Declaration of Independence. It's a very patriotic time. And so uh, the Roman forces, they bring extra troops in. They're on high alert because you got 
hundreds of thousands of people. The city is packed. All the surrounding hillsides, people are camping out. Uh, it's just it's craziness. And uh, uh, it's, a, it's a patriotic you know, time. And so they're afraid of a riot. They're afraid of a rebellion. So they're on high alert. Now, by the time of Jesus, the Passover was a highly choreographed meal event. Uh, there was a distinct liturgy. Some of you have grown up in Jewish homes or come from Jewish background. You've experienced this. The Passover meal is not like a 15-minute, you know, hey, we're done. Uh, this is like a, it takes several hours to celebrate the Passover. And, and there's lots of different elements. And there's going to be special prayers over uh, the, the, the head of the house is going to start off with a prayer, a blessing over the family and over this day. And then when it comes time to the food, special blessings are going to be said. You're going to eat uh, the lamb to remind you of the lamb that was slain. You're going to eat unleavened bread to remind you of the freedom from Egypt. Uh, you're going to eat uh, certain bitter herbs and spices. Dip The bread's going to be dipped in them to remind you of the pain of slavery. Uh, you're going to drink four cups of wine, which is my favorite part. Uh, it's like, I just love Passover. I just want to celebrate Passover. Every time you want to have me over for Passover, lamb chops and four glasses of wine, I'm good to go. So, uh, so you say, hey, yeah, but it's only December. Yeah, but it's two Passover. <laughs> uh, so uh, anyway, so so yeah, it was, it was a full-orbed event. And so at a certain point in the evening, the youngest child there would ask the, the, the head of the house, the father, he'd say, uh, what, what is different? What's so special about this day? What's different from this night than any other night? And this would open the door then for the father to tell the story of how God had redeemed them from slavery in Egypt. And through the blood of the lamb, he had taken the life of the firstborn and set them free. So this whole brand new life, they're leaving, leaving Egypt to, to become a nation and leading the promised land. This was the origin of our, and so this is, amazing, amazing several hour event. During the evening, they would sing certain psalms. They were called uh, the Hallel Psalms. They're Psalm 113 to Psalm 118. And so this is what I want you to catch, very choreographed night. This is not just like, hey, pass this, pass that. You know, it's like this is all planned out, highly symbolic to remember what God did. And what Jesus is going to do Remember what I said, it's no accident that he's coming to Jerusalem at this time. It's no accident that he's having the Passover on this night. It's no accident that he's going to be arrested and executed on Passover. His life, written in the script of his life, before he was born, before time began, this night was destined to be. He says in Luke's account, I have eagerly desired to eat this Passover with you, my men, before my suffering. All right, so it's all planned out, and, and on this night, at certain key points in the choreography, the liturgy, Jesus is going to take the old symbols and he is going to speak new meaning into them, all right? And so what we're going to learn today is that the Passover was a picture, a type of a greater salvation that would one day come. And so if you have your Bibles, let's go ahead and jump in. We're going to turn to chapter 14. Uh, there in your note sheets, the section, the Passover, the next chapter and we're going to pick it up at verse 12. So you have your Bibles, get your apps, uh, go ahead and, and open up there. So chapter 14 and verse 12. So on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so remember, Passover and then it kicks off seven days of unleavened bread, right? And so it's going to, and during those seven days, the Israelites were told you're not to have any yeast in your house. Uh, you'd go through it, clean out all the yeast. It's a picture of cleaning out the sin 
the slavery, the old life of Egypt. And so it's a seven day, starts Passover, seven days. Sometimes they just combine them into, because they go right together. So on the first day of the Feast of Unleavened Bread, so this is Thursday morning, it's the 14th of Nisan. And when it's customary to sacrifice a Passover lamb, Jesus' disciples asked him, where do you want us to go and make preparations for you to eat the Passover? Now remember, this is no easy thing, right? Because Jesus and his men, they don't live in Jerusalem. They don't have a home there. They've got to find a place to have Passover. And we've got hundreds of thousands of pilgrims flooded into the city, taking every available spot, camped on every hillside around. The city's packed. And so they say, where do you want us to do this? And so remember, Jesus is a good Jew. And he's going to celebrate these pilgrim feasts every year. And so they said, where do you want us to go and celebrate this Passover? And so he sent two of his disciples. And in Luke's account, we learn it's Peter and John, two of the inner three. And uh, he tells them, go in the city. Remember, they'd stay every night out at Bethany, spend the night, and then go in the city in the morning. Go into the city, and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. Say to the owner of the house as he enters, the teacher asks, the rabbi asks, where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? Now, sounds very covert, doesn't it? And like, okay, here's what I'm going to do. Go into the city. There's millions of people there. Look for a guy with a jar on his head. <laughs> when you see him, don't lose him. Don't lose him. He's, he's not going to act like he knows you. Just kind of don't lose him. Follow him to a house. So when you get there, go inside and say, hey, where's the room? <laughs> now, if it sounds very covert, chances are it was. The religious authorities, we know this from John's gospel, they put a price out on Jesus' head. They're looking for him. They know that you have to celebrate Passover within city limits. Uh, they assume he's going to be coming in. They probably have spies looking for him everywhere. And so it's very likely this was covert. We don't know that for sure, but it's very likely it was covert. Uh, very, it's very possible Jesus sets us up ahead of time. Now, the reason this works is because guys don't carry water. And that day, women carried water, right? So a guy with a jar on his head, which is where the term jarhead, <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. Uh, uh, he's going to stand out. He just stand out. And so, hey, when you see the jarhead, uh, follow him, right? Salute first and follow him. And, and when he gets there, uh, then, then ask him, where, where's, the pl- you know, where, where's the place? And so he says, so this, okay. You know, they're used to following Jesus' instructions. Like, oh, whatever. All right. So uh, verse 16, so the disciples left. They went in the city. And this is probably in the morning. And uh, they found things just as Jesus had told them. Hey, there's a guy with a jar. See him. Uh, and they prepared the Passover. Now remember, this is probably a pretty, pretty big job. We don't know how much of the preparations this owner of the house had done. Maybe Jesus had kind of uh, already paid for this, for this to be done. We don't know that. But if they had to do it from scratch, this is big. They, they've got to go and find a lamb. You know, according to Josephus, and again, we're, we're not showing these numbers, but there's, it seems pretty good evidence that according to Josephus, they would sacrifice over 250,000 lambs at Passover. We're told that the blood from the temple, that'd be sacrificed at the temple, the blood would run down to the Kidron Valley and, and the, the, the little stream Kidron would run red. 
And uh, so, so they, they're going to have to go. They're going to have to get a sanctioned lamb. They're going to have to have it sacrificed. They're going to have to pick up the wine. They're going to have to pick up the, uh, the, the leavened bread. They're going to have to pick up the, uh, the spices and the fruit mix for the, the bitter herbs. Uh, there's a lot of stuff to do. And they're going to have to bring it home, roast the lamb. There's a lot of stuff going on. So anyway, so they left, uh, verse 16. They went to the city. They found things as Jesus had told, and they prepared the Passover. And so when evening came, now it's nighttime, Jesus reclines with the 12. And while they're reclining at the table, he says, now remember, picture this. This is not Leonardo da Vinci's Last Supper. <laughs> yeah, they got, remember Jesus in the middle, everyone on the side. Right? This is not that, because remember we learned last week, for formal dinners, they would recline. So the tables would be low, maybe 18 inches off the ground. They're laying on their sides. They're on their left elbow, their feet back away from the, from the, uh, from the, the table. They're eating with their right hand. The table would be faced like a U, it would be designed like a U. So they'd be on the outside facing away. People on the inside could come in and serve, serve the meal, right? So that's the picture. And so during dinner, Jesus drops a bombshell. And he says in verse 18, while they're reclining at table eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Now, now remember, catch how shocking this is. Like, we, they have no idea of this. Uh, they think he's about to unleash his power on Rome. They think he's about to reveal his true identity. They have no, they have no idea what's going to happen the next 24 hours. We know the story. They don't. And, and so he's one betray, like, what? And it's one of you? Now catch this, when we, when, we, we think of Pat, when we think of this meal, we often think of 13 people there, Jesus and the 12. But we'll see indications in just a minute, there may have been many more people in this room. In fact, we know that Jesus came from Galilee with many disciples, both men and women. This is gonna show up in a couple chapters, resurrection. And so there may have been many there, but he says, one of you that were sharing meal together, which is a sign of friendship, one of you is gonna betray me. And of course, this blows them away and uh, remember this, like we know the story, right? We know it's Judas. Back in chapter three, when Mark introduced the 12, he told us, but we're outside the story. People inside the story, the characters, they don't know this. Uh, and so notice how shocked they are. They says they're saddened, and one by one, they say to him, surely not I. Now catch this, how confused do you have to be to think it's you? Right? It's like, like, if it's me, I'm looking at, I bet it's Judas. He's always been a little off. <laughs> but I want you to catch, they, no one's pointing a finger at Judas. They, they don't know it's Judas. He's just one of the guys. And they're so confused, they can't even imagine which of the 12 would be. And so they're like, well, is it me? Are you, like, what kind of question is that? Like, how confused are you? I can't imagine them. Maybe it's me. I just didn't know I was going to do it. Um, <laughs> So they're really shocked. And so he says, it's one of the what? Guess this, it's one of the what? 12. The 12. Well, if there's only 12 of you there, we already said that. And so there, there may have been more than 12 there. It's one of the 12. One who dips, uh, dips bread into the bowl with me. Notice someone, intimate friend, someone who shares meal. And he says, son of man, which is his name for himself, he'll go just as written about him, he'll, he'll die just as written about him, prophesied, but woe to the man who betrays the son of man. It'd be better for him he had not been born. And while they're eating, now remember, carefully choreographed meal, three or four hours, 
wine at certain points, blessings at certain point, question, uh, uh, why is this night different than all the other nights? Very likely Jesus is head of, the aunt, head of the household there, so to speak. Very likely Jesus told the story of the Passover, of the lamb, of the, of the salvation, of the unleavened bread, the exodus, right? So uh, very choreographed. And in the midst of this, this choreography, he says in verse 23, while they were eating, Jesus took the bread, the unleavened bread, the bread that was a symbol of their freedom. And he said, he broke it and he gave it to his disciples. And he said, take it, this is my body. And then he took the 12, he took the cup. We're not sure which cup, we think it's the third cup, the one right after dinner. And he gave thanks and he offered it to him, and they all drank it, and they said, this is my blood of the covenant. In Luke's account, Luke says he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. That's code language. That's a Jewish code language. We'll come back to it later. Which is poured out for many. I tell you the truth, I will not drink again of the fruit of this vine until that day when I drink it anew in the kingdom of God. He says, this is my last meal with you. And when they'd sung a hymn, this likely would be the Hallel Psalms. The last Hallel Psalm is Psalm 118. Psalm 118 is a messianic psalm. You're gonna study it this week. Remember back the, the, first, the very first week, of this, very early in the series, blessed is he who comes from the name of the Lord. The crowds are shouting. Psalm 118. Remember chapter 12, the stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone? Psalm 118. They are singing the song of his life before he goes out. And so with that, they take off, they head for the Mount of Olives. So they're gonna go outside this upper room. They're gonna walk through those dark, windy streets of Jerusalem. Remember, there's no street lights. It's gonna be very late. It's gonna be close to, to midnight. And they're gonna head outside to the Mount of Olives, which is on the east side of the city of Jerusalem, right down the Kidron Valley, start up, the, and there's a, there's a grove there. We call it a garden, but it's really a grove. It was full of olive trees, where there was an olive press. And an olive press in Hebrew comes from the word Gethsemane. It's the place of the press. And so now we have begun this final jury journey to the arrest the interrogation, the beatings, the floggings, the convictions, and the crucifixion on a Roman cross of Jesus, and then his resurrection. And as we start this journey today, in these final scenes of, of Mark's gospel, uh, I want to start stand back, and I want to highlight a couple big picture principles that we have not talked about in a while for those of you who've been with us this whole series and even before, back in December, a year and a half ago, that we did a series before this series in the life of Jesus called Jesus the Prequel. And I introduced you there to a couple really important principles. I said this is incredibly important for us as we enter into this series, but we haven't really gone back and touched base a lot with them since. The first few weeks we did. We haven't since. And I want to come back and highlight a couple principles and then ask an important question as we enter into this home stretch of Mark's gospel. And so there on your note sheet is a section called the Passover, the New Covenant. And so uh, two principles, let's jump in. 
Number one, the first thing we see is that the story of Jesus is the story of Israel. This is so important we get this. The story of Jesus is the story of Israel. Let me explain what I mean. Often, as modern-day Christ followers, when we think of the story of Jesus, we think of the story of Jesus starting with Jesus. We think of the story of Jesus starting with his birth, his life, his miracles, his arrest, his death, his execution, his resurrection. We think of that, right? So we think of the story of Jesus, we think of it starting with the Gospels. But here's what I want you to catch, is that if this were a TV series, the story of Jesus would not be a new series. Hey, tune in Wednesday night, you know, new hot story, you know, Jesus of Nazareth. That if, if this were a TV series, this would be like the fifth season or the seventh season in a long-running story called Israel. Let me, so let me, get, let me, let me uh, illustrate this. Uh, how many of you are fans of the show Lost? You're like, Lost? and he's still grieving over, over that. Yeah, still kind of grieving. Uh, uh, how many of you, uh, this will get a bigger cheer. Uh, how, many, uh, how many of you are fans of the show 24? Right, see, yeah, yeah, I knew, yeah. Right, aren't you excited? It's coming back. It's coming back. I um, yeah, life of torture. Here we go. Uh, so, uh, yeah, so, uh, so I want you to picture this, that the, the, the show Lost ran for six seasons, all right? The show 24 ran for eight seasons. So I want you to picture this, that, that you've, uh, you've heard about these shows, uh, your friends always talk about it at work, you don't know much about it, you've never been interested, but you're so sick of it, now it's the last, it's the last season, you said you're, you're, gonna, you're gonna kind of check it out, right? So you're sitting at your home alone, and you decide to turn on the first episode of season six, last season of Lost. How are you gonna feel? Lost. Why? Because the screenwriters assume you know what happened the previous five seasons. Everything that happens in season six has been built upon in the first five seasons. It's all, everything in the first five is leading up to the sixth season. You know, if you, you turn on, uh, you've never watched the show 24, and you decide it's, it's so popular. This last season, I'm, and you got your popcorn, you got your Cokes, you're ready to go. You turn on the first one. Man, this guy, Bauer, he's a little weird, right? Because you don't know. You don't know he's tortured in China. Uh, anyway, you just don't, you don't know his story, right? So, so here's what happens. As modern-day Christ followers, we turn into like season five of a six-season series called the Bible. We, we tune in at season five, and we can't understand why we're lost much of the time. Like we, we, we like turn into the last season of 24, and we like can't figure this thing out. And often we act as if the story of Jesus is a whole new series. Yeah, there was stuff that happened before. That just didn't work out so well. So we started a new series. We call it Jesus. The reality is the story of Jesus is the story of Israel. And you can't understand the story of Jesus well without understanding the story of Israel. And so this is a great example in the story of the Passover. Do you realize that God is the screenwriter of this story of the human race, and that, that God, he wrote certain things into the early seasons of the story called Israel 
because he knew what was coming down the line. And so, so when God designed the Passover event, that was like season two or three in Israel's history. It was preparing for this final season when Jesus would come. And so, for example, when God rescued the nation of Israel from Egypt, he could have done it lots of ways. You don't have to kill a lamb. Just blow them over. Right? Just say shalom. Uh, whatever. They got very specific, right? On the 14th of Nisan, go and in the late afternoon, uh, sacrifice a lamb. Oh, by the way, Jesus is going to die at three in the afternoon on Passover. Uh, and then take the blood of the lamb and spread it over your house so that the angel of death will see the blood and pass over you, not because you're special, because you belong to me. And then I want you to celebrate a feast called unleavened bread that represents your freedom to move into a new life and leaving the life of slavery and sin and bondage behind. And I want you to do this every year. Back in season two, God said to do that. And we thought it was just a season two. We thought it was a great story. We just thought what, what an amazing deliverance and how God worked. And they've been telling this story now for 1,500 years by the time Jesus shows up. And we find out today it's more than a story. It was written into the script long before because the deliverance Israel experienced in Egypt, it was a picture, it was a symbol, it was a foreshadowing. It's what we call in theology a type, a prophetic event in the past that's speaking of something greater. Because one day, a greater deliverer than Moses will come. One day, we will be delivered from a greater enemy than Pharaoh and Egypt. We'll be delivered from sin and death and Satan. One day, a greater lamb will come that will be slain on Passover. One day, the blood of a greater lamb will be spread over our lives so God passes over our judgment. One day, there will come a leader who will lead us to a greater promised land, both in this life and the next life, and set us free from our old life of Egypt to move into a new life of purity and unleavened bread. Are you with me? And so here's what I want you to catch. The story of Jesus is not a new story. It's the next season in a long-running drama about the story of Israel and the story of the human race. Now, number two. Oh, by the way, before we go on, this is something that the disciples did not understand at the time. At the time, they were just depressed. Uh, Jesus had told them, one of you is going to betray me. You're all going to leave me. We'll see that next week. Uh, by the way, I'm going away. You can't follow me. They're just depressed. They don't get this. But in the coming years, they would look back and they would understand. In fact, later in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul is going to write to a group of new Christ followers who are coming out of a pagan city uh, called Corinth, very cosmopolitan. Pagans, kind of uh, New York meets San Francisco meets Las Vegas. That's Corinth. 
right? And, uh, and, and it's a wild town. It's, it's, it's a sailor town. It's a wild town. Uh, and so these are people that have come to Jesus out of a horrendous background, uh, sexual immorality, uh, having sex with prostitutes when you go to the temple uh, to worship the pagan gods, uh, the, uh, uh, malice, hatred, suing one another uh, all the time, uh, a culture that's falling apart, uh, worship at pagan temples, right? So, and so they come to Jesus, and, and so Paul writes to them, he says, hey, listen, you've come to Jesus. He's your Passover lamb. Through Jesus, you've been forgiven and you've been led out of Egypt. He said, but now you're going back to your old ways. You're, you're now going back to Egypt. You're now going back to sexual immorality. You're now going down to church splits over secondary issues. You're now fighting over which teachers are the best. You're now... Uh, you're suing each other and taking each other to court. Uh, you're, you're now going back to your pagan temples. He said, listen, Jesus set you free from your Egypt so you can move into a new promised land. You don't want to be like Israel who goes back to Egypt again. And, and remember, they, they die in the wilderness. They spend 40 years because they stopped following the pillar by day and the, the, cloud, the, or the cloud by day and the pillar of fire by night. They stopped listening. They trusted God to set them free from Egypt. They didn't trust him to make them into the promised land. And they died in the wilderness. Don't be like that. And so there in your note sheet, look what Paul says in chapter five. He says, he says to the Corinthians, get rid of the old yeast. Remember the yeast represents sin and uh, slavery of Egypt. Get rid of the old yeast that you may be a new batch without yeast as you really are. For Christ our what? Our Passover lamb. He's been sacrificed. Therefore let us keep the festival. He's talking about the feast of unleavened bread. Let's keep the festival, not with the old yeast, the yeast of malice and wickedness, you know, broken relationships, wickedness, but with the bread without yeast, unleavened bread, the bread of sincerity and truth. And so here's what I want you to catch. When we step into the story of Jesus, we're stepping into the story of Israel next season. And that kind of leads to the next point. The next point goes like this, that the story of Israel is our story. That, that when we become a Christ follower, we step into this larger story that God has been telling, the story of Israel that's been telling from way, way, back, way back when. That the moment you gave your life to Jesus, he became your Passover. Catch this, the moment you gave your life to Jesus, you stepped into what Jesus calls the, quote, new covenant. Now, what's he talking about? That night... He said, this is the blood of the new covenant. What's he talking about? Well, when the nation of Israel came out of slavery from the Passover, they traveled for three months. They end up at Mount Sinai. God leads them to Mount Sinai. When, when they get to Mount Sinai, God reveals himself in a powerful way. And he, he offers them an invitation. And here's the invitation. You know who I am now. I rescued you. You've seen my power. You've seen my love for you. So now I want to propose. I want you to be my people, and I want to be your God. I want to enter into covenant with you, much like a marriage covenant. Right? I love you. You love me. We're going to do this thing together. We're going to, we're going to move into the future. And Israel said, I do. Israel said, yes, I, what we, that's exactly what we want. We've seen your love. We've seen your power. We want that. And there were certain terms of the agreement. 
In the basic terms, we call the Ten Commandments, right? No other gods before me and love one another and don't rip each other off and create a, create a community. It's a beautiful community. And so he writes them on tablets of stone and they set out. And the problem was, if you know the history of Israel, is they consistently violated that covenant time and time again. They were like a, a wife who gets married and then and starts a, a series of serial affairs, running after other gods, breaking the terms. And so finally, about 600 years after the Exodus, God speaks through many prophets, but one of them is, is Jeremiah. And he prophesies because of their consistent spiritual immorality that God is gonna send them away to a far land. They're gonna lose their land. That was his wedding present, so to speak. They're gonna lose their land. And they're gonna go into the land of exile. And they're gonna go to Babylon over a thousand miles away. But here's what God promises, but one day I'll bring you back. And he says, and in that day, I will enter into a new covenant. There'll come a time in the future, I'll enter into a new covenant. And it won't be like the old covenant because you broke the old covenant. He says, and under the new covenant, two things are gonna happen. Number one, I will forgive all your rebellion of the old covenant. And number two, he said, I will change you from the inside out. Ezekiel talks, I'll put my spirit in you and I will move you to fear me. Jeremiah says, in Jeremiah 31, it's on your note sheet, you check it out later. Jeremiah says that I will no longer just write my law on tablets of stone like the Ten Commandments. I'll write them on the human heart so that you can be my people and I can be your God. I'll change you. So the reason they couldn't keep the first covenant is because they're fallen human nature with its magnetic pull to the dark side. They just couldn't, you know, we, we all have all known that, right? We, we've all experienced that. And he says, I'm going to change you from the, I'll send my spirit, I'll change you from the inside out, and I'll lead you into this new life, like a new promised land. And so in, in Jeremiah, he used the language, I will, I will enter into a new covenant. This was code language. And so on the night that Jesus is there celebrating the Passover as head of the household, telling the story of the ancient deliverance, Jesus says to them at a critical point in this ceremony, the well-choreographed meal, he says to them, he takes the bread, the unleavened bread that speaks the freedom and says, this is my body. And then he says, passes the wine, he says, this is the blood of the new covenant. See, back in the first covenant, back in Exodus, when Israel said, I do, they had a covenant ratification ceremony. In chapter 24 of Exodus, the leaders had this meal with God. It was an amazing thing. And they did several sacrifices. And then they sprinkled the blood on the people. And they said, this is the blood of the covenant. And so the covenant was ratified. And what Jesus is doing is taking that Passover and said, as I set you free once again, once long ago, I'm setting you free to a greater new land now. And this time, the blood of the covenant is my blood. You see what's going on here? And so when a man or woman gives her life to Jesus, we enter into covenant with Jesus. And the covenant is he will pass over our sins that we've committed. And that he will send his spirit in our life to lead us. Like a cloud by day and the fire by night. 
to lead us into our new promised land, a life of freedom from the old life of sin and slavery and bondage. Amen? Amen. And so can can you see this? And can you see how rich this story becomes? How much richer this is? And hey, accept Jesus as your personal Savior and your sins will be forgiven. It's not that that's wrong. It's not that it's wrong. It's just that it misses so much of the story. Of this amazing God who's come after us. And who, when you came to Jesus, you entered into covenant. And part of that covenant was, I forgive you. For every sin you have committed, every sin you will commit, I am passing over because of my blood. And on top of that, I'm not going to leave you screwed up like you are. I am going to put my spirit, I'm going to put my spirit in you to lead you and guide you and empower you and lead you to a new promised land. And when you came to Jesus, that's the covenant you entered into. Now, that all leads to a question. And there in your note sheet, in the back side, I have a question. This is actually called the Passover. What's your story? And so we said God's telling a story. God's telling a story. He's telling a story. The story of Israel is the story of Jesus. The story of Jesus becomes our story. When, we, when, you come, when you accepted Jesus, when you came under him as your Passover, you became a player in the story. And the question is, what chapter does God want you to write in this story that he's telling? And so here's the question there on your note sheet. The question is, are you playing your part? You're, you're a character in this story, or you're invited to be, and so are you playing your part? And so let me, let me break this down. I want to talk to two different groups of people here. I want to talk to first of those to you here that you, you've come to church, you're kind of exploring Jesus, but you've never given your life to Christ. Maybe you've never understood this offer. Maybe you've understood it, but you've not been willing to surrender your life to his leadership. But here's what I want you to say. If you're here today and you're not a follower of Jesus, I want you to understand the offer that's on the table. The good news is that through the life, the death, the resurrection of Jesus, that just like God met with Israel at Sinai and said, I want you to be my people, I want to be your God, do you want in? That in the same way that God is now initiating a new covenant and he's offering it to you. And the good news is that if you say, yes, I want you to be my God, that you'll be forgiven for all crimes against the king, the high treason you've committed by living a life apart from him, the judgments over your life will be completely forgiven, and that he'll send his spirit in your life to lead you and guide you and change you. So lead you to your next promised land, both here in this life and the next life. That's the promise. And so that's the good news, right? We call it the gospel. That's the good news. But here's the bad news. This is a good news, ultimate good news, bad news story. The bad news is it's a time-limited offer. And I want you to think of this with the Passover. God came to Moses and said, hey, on the 15th of Nisan at midnight, the angel of death is coming. So on the 14th of Nisan, you need to sacrifice the lamb and you need to celebrate the Passover and you need to be done by midnight. What's he telling him? 
there is a window of opportunity. What happens if you miss that window? What happens if you don't take the offer seriously? Then you will die. Your firstborn will die. And this is why the Bible says so many times, he says, now is the day of salvation. Right? And so many times we're tempted to put it off, or we, we love the good side of the gospel, we love believing in this God who loves us no matter what we've done or what we've, where we've come from, that he would offer forgiveness. We love that whole picture of God. We forget the flip side. The flip side is that we're a nation in rebellion. We're a people who've committed high treason against our true king. We are under judgment. There is a warrant out for our arrest and our sentence and our death for every one of us. And the only way for that warrant to be passed over is through the Lamb. And so if we resist that offer, we refuse that offer, we delay that offer, it's a now offer. And there comes a time when we die or Jesus comes back, it's midnight. And the angel of death is coming. And so if you're here today and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I just want to urge you, like, don't put this off. You don't know how much time you have. And more importantly, you may never be in a better space emotionally or spiritually to make this decision. And so don't put it off. Accept the offer. And we'll talk about how to do that in just a minute. Now, for those of us who are followers of Jesus, by definition, Christ is our Passover. By definition, we've entered into covenant. And so the question I have for you is, are you playing your part? And here's what I want you to catch. The nation of Israel did not play their part. They, they, they trusted God enough to get them out of Egypt. They did not trust God enough to get them into the promised land. And so what happens, they came out of Egypt they, they were, were not really willing to trust God. They're giants in the land. And, and so two of their leaders said, we can do it. Ten of them said, we can't. The nation rebelled. And as a result, they end up spending the next 40 years in the wilderness, the desert. And during that time, all they could think about was what they're missing from Egypt. Hey, we missed the, we missed the meat we miss the leeks. We miss the onions. Well, that makes sense when you're only eating manna. Hey, this manna was designed for a few weeks. You weren't supposed to be eating it for 40 years. And this is the way it is. When we don't trust God and leave Egypt behind and move into the future he has for us, all we can remember are the good things of our old life. And catch this. Israel's out there going, we miss the meat, and we miss the leeks, and we miss the onions. And you just want to say, are you brain dead? Do you miss the beatings? Do you miss the bricks? Do you miss the seven days a week long days? Do you miss the harsh? How do you miss that? It's like we have selective memory going on here. But here's what happens. When we follow Jesus and we don't move into the promised land, we get bored. And all we can remember are the good things of the life of sin. And we forget the bondage, and we forget the emptiness, and we forget the pain. 
So brothers and sisters, I got a question for you. Are you moving into God's preferred future? See, this is what happened to the Corinthians. Christ, their Passover lamb, had been sacrificed. They'd entered into a relationship, but they weren't moving forward, and so they were going back. They're going back to lives of sexual morality. They're going back to lives of conflict, church splits. They're going back to a life of lawsuits. They're going back to their life of broken relationships. They're going back to their life of pagan worship. See, when you're not moving forward, you're going to move back. So I have a question. Are you playing the part? Are you, you've been given the Spirit of God. Are you following the cloud by day and the fire by night into your new promised land? Let me ask you this. Are your priorities changing? Let me ask you this. Is your passion for God growing? Is your time with Him getting richer? Are you putting to death the sin of Egypt so the freedom, for the freedom of the new land? Are you learning to do marriage the Jesus way? Or are you doing marriage the Egypt way? Are you raising your kids for Him or for the values of this world? Are you learning to do your money the Jesus way or the Egypt way? You see, men, when we have been saved from Egypt, so we'll be saved for the promised land. I want you to catch, Passover was not the end of the story. It was the beginning of the story. And too many times as Christians, we think the end of the story is being saved. I'm saved. Congratulations. But it's not just what you were saved from. It's what you were saved for. Ephesians chapter 2, the apostle Paul says, you know, we're not, he says, that this talks about the salvation. He says, you know, we've not, we were saved by faith through grace, not by any works of our own. That's Passover. That anyone should boast. But then he goes on and he says, but we are God's workmanship. Created in Christ Jesus for good works. Catch this. Which God prepared in advance before the creation of the world. Do you catch that? Hey, Jesus was born for good works. That Passover was his destiny. Guess what? When you were born again and became a part of Jesus... You've got a part to play in this story. You have a destiny. God has a calling on your life, your marriage, your singleness, your money, your career, your priorities, your future. He has designed you to make a difference. It's not so much what he saved us from. It's what he saved us for. And so let me talk real Quickly, let's kind of bring it to a head. We're going to move into communion now, and I don't want you to stop listening. Every time I say communion, people start putting stuff away. I know you. (laughs) Great, what time? Okay, we're on time. I want you to listen carefully. We're going to go into communion. 
we're going to celebrate the Passover renewed. Right? And, and here's the thing. If you're here and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, I want to invite you to become one today. And there is no better way than when you come up to take the bread and the, the juice that represents the body and blood of Christ around the room. There's no better way than to, when you take that, say, Jesus, I'm asking you to be my Passover. When you say, Jesus, I want to enter into covenants, he'll know exactly what you mean. Forgiveness of sins, gift of his spirit, new life, you come under his leadership as your new deliverer. And here's my next challenge. For those of you who are followers of Jesus, as we take communion, hopefully it will mean so much more than perhaps it has before. But as you take it and you reflect on his body that was broken for your future, you drink his blood that was spilt for your future, then I want you to ask yourself the question, are you playing your part? And are you moving in to the preferred future that God has for you? Or are you lingering and longing for going back to Egypt? Let's stand together. Father, we want to come now to your son's sacrifice, his body and his blood that was the blood of the covenant shed for us that we could enter into covenant, the new covenant. And we are so thankful for him. These coming weeks, Lord, as we study his life, we see the interrogations. We watch the beatings. We see the convictions. We watch him bent over on a stone post being flogged with Roman whips. As we watch his wrists nailed to those posts and then his whole body lifted up and put on that that pole, his heels with a single spike going through to the wood. So we hear him screaming in pain. God, we want to remember that it was for freedom from our past, but it was for freedom for our future. And God, we want to play our part. And we want to be, leave Egypt behind. And God, we want to be transformed people. We want to be a people that follow the cloud by day, the pillar by night, into this new promised land. We want to remember it's not just what we're saved from, it's what we're saved for. And so, Lord, we pray as we remember this is my body and this is my blood, the blood of the new covenant. We want to remember you. And we ask you to come and meet us in a powerful way as we remember you now. In Jesus' name, amen. Around the room are, are the representatives, the body and blood. Just as you feel that, just move out and take communion. For the sake of the world, for the sake of our crucified King, Burn like a fire in me. God set me free from my Egypts. I don't want to go back. I want to live the life of unleavened bread, the life of purity and truth. Paul said to the Corinthians, hey, 
don't go back to life of malice and wickedness. Move forward. Life of sincerity and truth. Men and women, my brothers and sisters, may this be a week you celebrate the Passover like you've never had. You celebrate this life and death of Jesus for you that sets you free in this new covenant. And may you not go back. May you press on in your marriages, in your homes, in your careers, your time with him, your, your gifts, your services, your spiritual gifts, your finances move into the future that God has for you. And we'll gather again next week. Um, it's going to be a great message. Dave and I already talked about it. Uh, we're going to see Jesus' prediction that, that uh, they're all his men are going to leave him. Peter says, no way, not going to happen to me. We're going to learn about what we tend to overestimate and what we tend to underestimate. And uh, it's going to be a great message. I hope you can be here. I'll be here the following week to come back fresh off of Gethsemane. I will have been there two days before I'm teaching on it. And uh, it's going to be amazing. We're going to have time. So, hey, pray for us on this trip. Uh, pray for our health, our safety. Pray for aha moments. Uh, pray that God would just bind our hearts together. It's an incredible time. We're going to come back. I know I'm going to be on fire. So uh, I'll be looking forward to see you then. Until, uh, until then, uh, don't forget, if you need prayer for anything down here to my right, whether it's over in the summit or over here, I always have prayer. And until I see you again, may the Lord be with you. May Christ be your Passover. May you press into the new covenant. May you follow the spirit who leads you like a uh, cloud by day, a fire by night into your promised land. May you leave the Egypt behind. May you no longer eat the leavened bread, but eat the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great weekend.